we'll get right into the message today and uh, pray for the Lord to, to direct me in this and show me what he wanted me to preach. And I believe he'll allow me to preach this today out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll be taking our text from. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. We will in no way be able to cover all nine verses in the message. And so we're going to get probably halfway through verse 2 in actual, actual expounding upon the text. Now, I titled the message today, Perilous Time Shall Come, and I guess you could say part one because I'll have to continue this uh, in, in upcoming messages. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll go ahead and start reading there in verse 1. The Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, uh, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jans and Jabbers withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be, made, shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Help us now as we preach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we enter into this passage of Scripture, and it's in the middle of Paul's second letter to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. Uh, the chapters leading up to this, 1 and 2, have been instructions on how Timothy is to conduct himself as a Christian and as a pastor. And then when he gets to this section, then he's focusing more on warning, warning about things that were to come. And there, perilous times, he said, shall come. Look at it in verse 1. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now that phrase, uh, in the last days, that's an interesting phrase, and it's found many times throughout the Bible. Um, and it's referring to, in this case, the end of the gospel dispensation as we know it, or the, the end of the world as we know it, as Christians know it. Now, people that are not saved, the end of the world is going to be very different for them. Uh, when the Lord comes, the Lord's going to come back, and he's going to rapture his church out of here. And uh, I firmly believe from reading the Bible and studying the Scripture, we will not, as a Christian, be going through the seven years of tribulation. I don't believe so. Uh, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, and we know Jacob is Israel. And all that section there in the book of Revelations is speaking about that is referring to the time of the Jews. And so uh, I believe the Lord's going to rapture his church out of here before all that takes place. But despite that fact, things are going to keep getting worse and worse. You know, people are always expecting things to get better. They're not. The Bible tells us they're not going to get better. They're going to get worse and worse, especially in the last days. Now, back in the book of Genesis, chapter 49, we remember Jacob is on his deathbed. Uh, he can't hardly see or anything else. And old man, he's laying there, and he says this. He's, got, he's gathered everybody around him, all the kids and grandkids and everybody. Genesis 49.1, it says, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, 
Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, he goes into detail talking to all his sons about each one of them individually of what they should expect. And uh, some, of them, some of it was good, some of it was bad. But we do know in the last days, if they're going to befall us and there's nothing we can do about it. But we must be prepared for it. The prophets Nehemiah, Isaiah, Joel, and Micah, they all foretold of events that were going to occur leading up to the coming of the Messiah. And that would be what we would expect to be in the last days. Now, we read in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when uh, the apostle Peter, he quotes from the prophet Joel concerning the last days. Listen to what he said, Acts 2, 15 through 17. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days. There it is, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Listen, Peter was preaching about the last days. Paul preached about the last days. John preached about the last days. We're still preaching about the last days because we are in the last days. I can guarantee this. Uh, the Lord hadn't come back yet to, to get us, but there's nothing in the way from him doing that. And we are closer today than we were yesterday. And if he tarries his coming from today, we'll be closer tomorrow than we are today. And so we're in the last days. And that's what Paul is warning Timothy about. Paul says in these last days, perilous times shall come. Notice he did not say peerless. I don't know how many preachers I've heard say peerless times. It's not peerless. Peerless is entirely different than perilous. They mean two opposite things. Peerless is a good thing. But perilous is a very bad thing. Perilous, uh, it, it comes from a word uh, called Kalipos, uh, which means dangerous, fierce, harsh, and savage. Now, any of those words could describe how things are in our present day right now, in these last days. Look at verse 2. Paul lists a whole lot of things that's going to occur. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Uh, so the first thing he mentions there is lovers of their own selves. Now I wonder why he mentioned that first. It is almost as if he was writing this today. If we uh, look at the headlines today, if we watch the news today, if you even go out into society today, you'll find that men are lovers of their own selves. And so, um, look, there is a good love of self, that kind of love that that uh, motivates you to at least uh, uh, be a kind person or to even clean yourself up and, and be a productive person. There is a, a certain love that we will have for ourselves. We know that. Um, you loved yourself enough this morning to get up and get something to eat and, and uh, all those things. Take a shower, brush your teeth, and, and whatever you did. You did that out of love for yourself because if you hated yourself, you wouldn't do any of those things. You just... Open your eyes and say, I hate myself, and close your eyes again and keep laying there. And so there is a certain amount of love that we have for ourselves, but that's not what Paul's writing about. 
This love Paul is writing about is much deeper. It's a selfish type of love. It's an inward pointing to yourself kind of love. Uh, it's the kind of love that, that means intent on one's own interest and selfishness. It's what makes me better than everybody else. Makes me exalt myself above you. You, know, you stink, I don't. <laughs> it's that kind of love. Lovers of their own selves. And you don't have to look very far to find this person. Uh, a trip to the grocery store, you'll find that one that thinks they're better than everybody else has to be on the show. You can be standing there looking at something, somebody come in and reach their hand right in front of your face and not say a word about it because they love themselves so much they think they deserve that better than you. <laughs> and so uh, you go to, uh, to work, you're going to find people there that love themselves a lot more than they love everybody else and love you, certainly. Uh, go to a restaurant. You want to find some people that's in love with themselves. You, wait, my, my daughter, she waits on tables at Old Charlie's, and she can tell you right now, people love themselves a lot more than they love the waiter, the waitress, the person trying to help them out. And so uh, you're going to find these people everywhere. Uh, you'll find many people that fit that description of someone that's love is of them own selves. It's all about them. They act as if they're the only person on earth that anything matters to. Uh, they think that God must have somehow carved out a special mold and created them, you know, privileged above everybody else. They're the type of people you see in your rearview mirror on your way to work, going down the interstate, that, that uh, you're already going 65 miles an hour, but no, they've got to go 100, and so they're on your bumper, screaming and yelling and, and pointing their fingers at you. And uh, because why? Because they love themselves. They could care less about you. You're just an obstacle in their way. And so um, they're the persons that think that they've done God some huge service. Uh, you may have met these. They're, yes, Christians can be this way. Christians can get uh, to be lovers of their own selves. And so they think, well, I'm going to do God a favor. I'm going to drop a five in the plate today. Boy, isn't that something? Drop the big five. And if that's all you got, I understand that. But they'll go, they'll leave a five in the offering plate, and then they'll go to old Charlie's and spend 35 on a steak dinner and tip the waitress a dollar. That's the kind of people we're talking about. They love themselves. And so the scary part is that these types of people, they appear to be religious. They appear to be because in verse 5, Paul writes that they have a form of godliness. In other words, they've learned how to walk the walk and talk the talk. Uh, they can fool people all the time, you know. Oh, he's such a good Christian. Look at him going to church, wearing his suit, carrying the Bible, putting money in the plate. Oh, my goodness, it needs something. That's what they're after. They're wanting the attention. They're wanting to be exalted and lifted up. But they have this form of godliness. And so they're much more dangerous than the atheist. Or the one that just flat out denies God, they're more dangerous to them because they're putting on a, a pretense, they're putting on a show, they're they're phony, they're they're uh, uh, they're doing more harm to the church and more harm to the gospel by being fake, by being a fake Christian. And look, self love is the rage today. People are eating it up. Why do you think there's so many social media platforms out there? Why do you think there's an Instagram? The only reason for Instagram is for self promotion. Self-love, that's all it's for. And so people eat it up. Uh, don't be lured in by such teaching. There's churches today that fill themselves up off of people that are just wanting to be known as being a good person. 
They want the preacher to get up and call their name. I know some people get mad if the preacher don't call their name in the service. And boy, when they do, they just beam. They look up. <laughs> He's talking to me. Talking about me. They love it. I don't want you to mention my name in church. <laughs> uh, but they have this form of godliness and this self-love, and it's the rage today. Um, I'll just tell you right now, it's evil. It's ungodly is what that is. It's sinful. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite of today's self-love promotions. These self-esteem teachers who say, you deserve to be loved. The Bible doesn't say that. It's not in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says differently. I'm going to give you a few passages of Scripture, what the Lord says about self-love or not self-love. Romans 1, 20-25, listen to what God says. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Listen to this. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And so we find in that passage of Scripture this inward self-love, uh, glorification, uh, thinking or professing yourself to be wise, and they do. These, these lovers of self, they profess themselves to be wise, you know. Uh, but that's all that's professing that, themselves. Nobody else is. God certainly is not. And then listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Now, he's writing to the church. Keep that in mind. He's writing to the church according. He said, For you see your calling, brethren, and when he says brethren, he's talking about Christians, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? You see, all those qualifications that man looks at and says, that's something. I want to be mighty and noble and, and such. He says, no, not many of them are called. Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Did you, did you hear that? Let me say it again. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. With a capital L, the Lord, God, Jehovah. If you're going to glory, glory in him, not in self. Lovers of their own self, the Bible said there in the beginning. That's how it's going to be in these perilous times, in the last days. But the Bible teaches contrary to being that way. 
So if you're going to glory, glory in the Lord and not glory in self. Here in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9, the Lord Jesus also mentions it. Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. He did not say, let him be a self-lover. Let him boast of himself. It says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Not your sake. Not saving your life for your sake, because if you're doing that, you're going to lose it. He says, you, you save your life save my, for my life. will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And so it's in the Lord that we point toward. And he said, you, you must deny yourself. Galatians 6 and 3 the Bible says, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now that is, that's when it gets bad, is when you deceive yourself. Now look, you can deceive people all day long. You know, you can, you can wear the right things and talk the right way and deceive a lot of people. But when you've deceived yourself into thinking you're something, that's when it's bad. And so lovers of them own self, they deceive themselves, thinking that they're something. And the Bible says right there, when he is nothing. Philippians 2, 3 and 4, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I think it's pretty clear the Bible teaches the exact opposite of loving one's own self. It's to look toward others. It's to love your neighbor. It's to love your fellow man. Even to love the sinner. And that's a hard thing to do. We want to despise the sinner and love the Christian, but the Bible teaches we're to love all men in, in Christ's name. Now, we're not, just because we love people in Christ's name, don't mean we agree with what they're doing. It don't mean we're going to stand up for the sin that they're committing, but we still love them as, as uh, those created in the image of God and that uh, pray that the Lord will save them. And so, look, I could go on and on reading scripture that directly refutes the ungodly teaching of self-love. It's wrong, it's a sin, it's abomination, and it is what destroys man. And it's what you're seeing in these last days. The next word there in our, in our text is covetous. Now that word means to have an inordinate desire for something. Uh, usually it, it boils down to money. However, it can also pertain to power, to covet money and to covet power. You can covet a lot of things. You could even covet somebody's family. There's people today that would love to have a, a good, stable family, and they can sit back and covet that, to have a, an inordinate desire for it, and may even try to intervene and get in the middle of it. But covetous-filled people have no care for you, though they may try to fool you into believing they do. They may try to get you to think that they really are your pal, your friend, your confidant, but they're only interested in you for what they can gain from you, what they can help themselves out. The Bible says they will make merchandise of you. That's the same thing as treating you like something bought and sold. And that's all they care about you. They don't really care about your feelings, your health, your, your, uh, your condition. 
All they care about is what they can gain from being friends with you. Now, being in the ministry, I've had to experience that more times than I care for. People, just because I may have a platform that they could speak from or preach from or uh, whatever, they think that they need to friend me or you know get involved with me so that they can further their thing that they're wanting to do. And uh, it's, it's, it's not a pretty thing. And so people want to make merchandise of you. Uh, it's, uh, they're only interested in you and, until they can sell you off to the highest bidder and move on to the next person. It's like junk collectors. They're going around looking for junk all the time, you know, uh, so they can turn around and sell it for a profit. And so they'll come to you and say, well, that, that, that thing over there in your garage, and I, I don't know about that, but I, I think I can probably sell it. And they know in the back of their mind how much it's worth, you know. And that's all they care about is what they can get out of it. Look, having a covetous heart will drive you to do unmentionable things. To covet money, to covet power, to covet prestige, to covet to be the most viral video on YouTube, whatever it may be. It will drive you to do unmentionable things. There's people today with such greed in their heart. That's what covetousness is. It's greed. It's being greedy, wanting something that, that you don't have or maybe you, you don't think you have enough of it, and so you've got to get more of it, and so you're, you're greedy. And these people today, there's people with such greed and covetousness, they will murder to get what they think they want or what they need. There's people today killing their own parents to try to get what they have. Uh, let me read you just a few new, news articles. I just scanned through the news uh, looking at greed-related crimes. I've got a few here. I may not read them all, but let me read you a few of these. This one you probably have, have heard about, the Menden, the Mendendez brothers. Uh, it says, they grew up wanting for nothing, but that wasn't enough. In 1994, the nation watched his brothers Lyle and Eric were sentenced to life in prison without parole in the 1989 killing of their parents, Jose and Mary uh, Kitty. Privileged and wealthy Menendez brothers grew up in the lap of luxury in Beverly Hills, but authorities believe that the duo had a dark side. Driven by desire, they allegedly shot their parents multiple times at close range with a shotgun in order to inherit their wealth. I remember that being in the news back in 94. And so, uh, listen, these two that, that grew up, that already had everything that they, they could possibly want, but it wasn't enough because they were covetous. They were greedy about it. And so they went as far as murdering their own parents to try to get their inheritance. Uh, here's another one. 45-year-old Irene Seal and her husband, a former police officer and employee at Exxon Company, Seemed like a regular suburban family. But in 1992, they kidnapped the president of Exxon, Sidney Rizzo, in the driveway of his New Jersey home. The New York Times called it a twisted tale of a kidnapping and of dreams gone wrong. They demanded a ransom of $18.5 million from his company and ended up killing Rizzo during a struggle. Greed was believed to be the motive of the crime. The Seals wanted to live a lavish lifestyle that they could not afford. Uh, Irene Seal received 17 years after confessing. 17 years is all she got for murdering a man because she coveted what he had, wanted to live a life of luxury. And so you see, that that's a couple. Let me just quickly give you a few more. Uh, this happened in Phoenix. 
says when Jamie Toller told friends, family, and colleagues that she needed money for an, an important breast operation, they thought they were paying for a double mastectomy necessitated by breast cancer. Instead, the perfectly healthy Phoenix woman used to cash uh, to pay for implants. Toller, 27, is now facing felony fraud and theft charges after co-workers Carmen Clemus got suspicious about the plea for help and called police uh, as Family.com reported. They were just well-intentioned people standing by support for an individual who needed it. Clemus said of those who in good faith gave about $8,000 to help a woman they thought was battling cancer. It's a very unfortunate situation. A police spokesman said her medical records indicated there was no breast cancer or anything like that, no issues whatsoever. He said her story began to unravel when she rejected doctor's offer to carry out her mastectomy free of charge. Uh, there we see this, uh, this desire, this greed, this covetousness to be what they think is the perfect person. And so what, she went as far as lying about having cancer. Now that, that's about as low as you can get. I know so many people stop from cancer and for somebody to claim they've got it when they don't, that's one of the worst things in the world. Uh, listen, I, I could go on and on. I've got stories here that I, I got uh, about people that killed people for out of greed, swindled people. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Here, this Tyler Hadley accused of parents' hammer murders, signs autographs in prison. All because he wanted a little bit of money that they had. I believe he got like $30 off of them. Murdered them. Uh, I think uh, shot them in the back of the head with a 22 caliber rifle. His mother and father both. And covered them up in the garage trying to hide it for $30. Uh, listen, um, the Apostle Peter, he, he writes a very vivid and chilling warning of how evil people can be through the act of covetousness. Listen to this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And listen, he says, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And there it is. That's what I was referring to. They make merchandise of you because of their covetousness. They'll do whatever they think they can uh, to get what they want. Well, back in our text there, it goes on. We'll be finished in a minute. Give a few more boasters and proud is the next things that uh, we read about there. Paul wrote to Timothy. If there's one thing that I can't stand, it is a bragger. Uh, there's nothing worse. I'm sure everybody listening to me is come in contact with a bragger or knows a bragger. Somebody that goes on and on and on about themselves all the time. Maybe somebody you went to school with. I know several of those. Somebody you may work with, uh, could be a family member, brags and boasts and goes on all the time proud. Their car is faster, their house is bigger, their job is more important, they're more important than you. And so one trait that all boasters have is they can't stop talking about themselves. It's all about them. 
They want to brag and, and make themselves look better and bigger and more important than you, than everybody else. And so you can go to somebody, and I know a guy, I can go to him and tell him something that happened, and here's the first words out of his mouth. Oh, that's nothing. Why? Because he had something even bigger happen to him. Even better happen to him. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah. And so I, I just don't say anything to him. It's better just to, just to keep quiet because he's just going to have something bigger and better anyway. But it's a, boasting is a direct result of pride. And that's probably why boasters and proud is listed together here. These two sins are listed. In Proverbs 14 and 16, the Bible says, A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. And so the Bible tells us here that, you know, this boasting, this pride, uh, God hates pride. Proverbs 16 and 5, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? To think just having this proud heart, this pride, and trying to make yourself better than everybody else. Well, God says that's, that's an abomination to me. I hate that. And you're not going to get by with it. It's what it says. He shall not be unpunished. So there's repercussions for the sin of pride and boasting. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things doth the Lord hate. Do you notice that? The Lord hates these things. Seven are an abomination unto him. The very first one mentioned is a proud look. What's that? You know, I'm better than you. Look at this suit. See my car? It's the best. Didn't watch. Rolex. That's a proud look. Somebody that's, you know, they're better than you. And it, it usually starts with the upturned nose. That's the universal sign of, of being proud. But the first one on the list of these six things that, that the Lord hates in seven abomination, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. I do find it interesting that that proud look is, is mentioned first. Because pride usually is the catalyst behind all these other things. Pride will drive you to be covet, to be covetous, to have bigger and better so that you can boast about it, be proud about it, tell everybody about it. And look, we don't have time to go through all the rest of these I mean, just, just in this one verse, blasphemer, disobedient, parents, unthankful, unholy, it just goes on and on and on about all these things to look for in the last days. Perilous times. What was perilous? Awful, terrible, horrible things that's going to happen. Uh, fierce, dangerous, harsh, savage even. Hey, I just can pick up the paper, I can get on the news, and see that all these things are coming about right now as we speak. And look, all, all it needs is for people to, Christians, to stand up and stand on God's Word, to live a life, the Bible says that we're to live a life pleasing to Him. As long as you're being all these things, a lover of self and covetousness and boasting and proud, you're not living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. If each Christian would live a life pleasing to the Lord, doing what God says, putting him first, putting your neighbor first, putting others first, 
and yourself last, we would see a drastic change in this country if just Christians would do that. Because, friends, Christians have gotten just as bad as the world today. There's churches right now I could not stand to go in. They're proud. They're boasters. Lovers of themselves. I just, I just couldn't handle that. Look, there's a, something to be said about being humble. And if you have to tell people you're humble, you're not humble. God will humble you, though. And you don't want that. Well, we're going to end it right there. And uh, listen, I know that we don't really have a, a, you know, a way to have an altar call or anything, but I, I am going to pray. There may be those that's out there that, that are lost that may hear this, and, and maybe you're finding yourself uh, the way the Bible talks about in perilous times in these last days, maybe that you're, you realize that you are you know, boasting and proud and a lover of yourself and putting yourself before everybody else. Listen. We don't have to be that way. If we have the love of Jesus down in our heart, if you've been saved, and you understand that you're nothing but a low-down, rotten sinner, bound for hell, until the Lord Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins, and so you don't have anything to brag about. We have nothing to brag about. The only thing that we can, we can talk about that's good is the Lord Jesus. There's nothing good in us. And it's only because of Him that we have any goodness about us. And so maybe you're out there today, maybe you're lost. Maybe you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. Well, I can help you with that. Uh, I can, you can email me, you can, you can call me, you can come to the church, I can talk to you. But I just want you to know what the Bible says, that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he came here, that God sent Jesus here to die for our sins. And he hung on that cross and shed his blood. He died, but he was buried, and he rose again in three days. And then he went to sit on the right hand of the Father. And because Jesus did those things, if we simply believe that, believe God's word and what Jesus did for us, that's the gospel, that Jesus lived, he died, he, he was buried, and rose again. That's as simple as the gospel can be. If you believe that, and you believe in Jesus to be your Savior, the Bible says to receive him as such. And all you've got to do is say, Lord Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm bound for hell. There's nothing I can do about it. But I believe in you and what you did for me. And I, I want to receive that free gift of salvation. That's what the Bible calls it, the free gift. All we have to do is, is ask him. And the Bible says that he will forgive us and, and he will save us. Call on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. You're calling on his name because you believe in him and what he did for you. That's as simple as that. There's nothing complicated about it. So I want us to bow our head and pray today. If you need help, you call out to the Lord for help. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message. Lord, I pray, Lord, for each one that's listening today that may hear this later on, God, that one that may be lost, God, that has never received you as Savior, God. Would you convict their heart through the Holy Spirit, show them the need to be saved before it's too late. God, we realize as Christians that we are living in the last days. And God, these perilous times are here right now. God, we're seeing these signs that you give us in your word. And oh God, we know it's not going to be much longer. Lord, we're looking for that blessed hope that you give us through our salvation. God, I'm praying for our church, praying for each member. God, that you'll help them, Lord. If there's one struggling today, help them. God, these names we read off before the service, or before the message, God, I pray for them. Lord, any that may have been left in the messenger, or on, on, in, in the comments, God, I'm praying for those. And God, we just pray that you help us, Lord. May we be shining lights 
being ambassadors for Christ. Lord, help us. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. Well, we will try. Hopefully, uh, the weather will co cooperate. It's supposed to get warm starting Monday, I believe. And uh, hopefully, this stuff will melt off. And uh, praying that Wednesday we'll be able to meet back in the church building. And remember that we are the church. You're the church. Those that are saved are the church. That building we go to is wonderful and beautiful, and I'm thankful for it. But the church is, is the people. And so never forget that. But Lord willing, we'll see you on Wednesday. And uh, good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. And the ice, don't, and the ice melts. But we'll see you then.